Good evening. Greetings again in Jesus' name. It's good to be back again to worship with the saints gathered at Ebenezer this evening. I want to thank you for the hospitality and fellowship that we've enjoyed today. It's been a blessing. And, you know, if it's this good here on earth, how good would it be in heaven? We don't have the downward pull. So thanks again for everything. Enjoyed an evening with Nathan and Mildred and their home, with, also with Josh and his family. That was a blessing as well. Some of you have asked kind of where we live and a few things like that, and so everyone's welcome to visit Dayton and Bank and let us know ahead. You can come to our home. If you want to stay overnight, we can even arrange that as well. So come up our way as you have opportunity. Coming to the message... Courtship. If we would open our Bibles to the first chapter of Genesis, we'd notice that God began creating. You don't, yeah, go ahead, that's fine. God began creating, and at the end of the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, he said, and it was good. But at the end of the sixth day, after he had created man in his own likeness and image, created he them. And the Lord saw that he had made, and he said it was very good. But then we come to the second chapter in verse 18, and God looked down and he saw something and he said, it is not good. So it's the first time in the scripture we find something that is not good. Can anyone tell me what that thing is that God said this is not good? Well, he looked at people like myself and Josh and he said, those fellows aren't quite complete. They're alone. They need someone to complete them. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him make and help meet for him. And in verse 24 says, Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I don't believe that's an indication that when God leads a man or a lady to be unmarried, that they cannot be complete in him. But I do, as a husband, understand that God has created and blessed me with a help meet, suitable, and she completes me in many ways, and she's a real blessing in many ways, a gift from the Lord. And because of that, God has made it possible for two young people, or older folks as well, is that is fine also, to leave the homes they grew up in, to become one in holy matrimony, to cleave together, be cemented together, and to be one. And the scripture recognizes marriage as a good thing, a blessing from God. But the interesting thing is, the scripture does not give us detailed directions on how to pass from single or unmarried to married. And we notice that has a range of of ways that has been done throughout time, throughout the scripture even. There's different ways we see that taking place. But let me quickly add, even though the scripture may not give us detailed instructions on how to pursue and obtain a marriage partner, I want to quickly add that the Bible does give us guiding principles that we can apply to every area of our lives, including this process of courtship, dating, uh, engagement, and marriage. 
And these principles from the Word of God give clear directives, principles that we must apply to that period of our lives, where we seek first the kingdom of God, and then he adds to us what he knows is best for us. And we noticed, interestingly, as we go through the scripture, that the customs for selecting a marriage partner are somewhat varied. We noticed the story of Isaac and Rebekah, where Isaac's father sent the servant Eliezer back to his home country to bring back a bride for his son, Isaac. I don't know how many of you would like for your father to send the hired man back to the area where your ancestors came from to bring you a wife, but that's how the Lord worked that time. And God answered Eliezer's prayer, and it was a successful journey. Then we come to the story that, another story that we could look at, the story of Ruth and Boaz. And I'll admit to you, as much as I enjoy that book and as much as I've preached from it and studied it, I still have a few questions on why Ruth ought to go down to the thrashing floor and uncover Boaz's feet at night as a symbol of her having a godly approach towards making it known that she needed a kinsman redeemer. But I'm sure the customs of that day made it that was the right thing to do, and that's what she did. And he recognized that was a godly thing to do, and he commended her for doing that. So that was another way of doing it. And then we have the story of Joseph and Mary, who were engaged to be married. And we can learn more as we study uh, secular history as well about how those processes took place there in the New Testament, that there was a lot of different back and forth with family and the engagement period, and then the, the son would or the, the young man and his, fam, and his father's family would work to build a place for them to live. And then at a, when, the, when the house was completed, well, he would come back sometimes at midnight and, and the bride and her attendance was to be ready. And when he showed up at midnight, it, then they would go and, and have the marriage uh, ceremony and, and such like. So different ways. So from time period to time period, from culture to culture, courtship practices have varied greatly. But God's people have always sought God's will in this matter. Another little side story here. My wife and I, Lord, has privileged us to, to have more and more interaction, it seems like, with, with people from Middle Eastern backgrounds. We've had the privilege of being friends with Daniel and Joetta, and that's where they feel the Lord has called them in their lives. So they've studied that in depth. And we've learned from them and others who relate to those people there in the Harrisonburg area. Uh, it's not quite like New York City, but Harrisonburg is a melting pot for cultures. There are many people from very varied countries around the world who have found their way to the Harrisonburg area and they live there. And there's certain streets in there where our second daughter would go with Rachel Rank sometimes on Sunday afternoon and just go up and down the street and interact with these people that had came in from foreign countries and interact with their children, children they'd learn to know through boys and girls clubs and, and things like that. Very different cultures. And then through our short-term rental, we've, Lord has brought a number of people in as well from different countries and different cultures. And there was one couple there recently, dark-skinned people, I suspected they was from India, and they were. And they had some trouble with some, oh, I know, they had a low tire their tire was going flat, and I went down and helped them with their tire. And we began visiting and back and forth. And uh, I asked them then uh, what their faith was, what their beliefs and et cetera were. And they explained to me they were from India, and, and they were 
boy, conservative Hindu, I believe is what they said they were. And I know how it started. They thanked us for the fact that we have a no alcohol on premises rule. They said that was one of the things that attracted them to our property. So out of that, I asked them what their religion and faith was. They said, well, we're conservative Hindu. We don't even eat meat. And that we had a good conversation. Then they went on to tell me, the lady did, the husband's a little shy. She was a good talker. And she went on to tell me that, you know, they had gotten married. They'd, right after their marriage, they'd moved from India to America and settled in Washington, D.C. And, and all about that. So I asked him, I said, well, did you know each other before you were married? Oh, no. Our parents arranged the wedding, and we met each other and at the wedding, and we got married, and we moved to America. Very different than what we're used to here today. Next to surrendering our lives to Christ, our choice of a marriage partner is, without question, the second most important decision we will ever make. So then we need to ask ourselves some questions. Why then did God plan and institute the relationship of marriage? Well, we've already discussed that God looked at some of us men and realized it was not good for us to be alone. God said, in essence, man needs companionship. The second reason is for the increase of humanity upon the earth. God told Adam and Eve and Noah, Jacob and others, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Psalm 128.3 says, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. In the New Testament, Paul commanded the widows who uh, had a desire to be married to marry and to bear children. Psalm 127.3-5, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And third, and I believe in many ways this is one of the heavier responsibilities we have in marriage. God instituted marriage so that we as his people could represent to the world around us what the plan of salvation looks like and how it is lived out. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. 22 through 33. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband, as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Verse 32. 
This is a great ministry, but a mystery. It's a great ministry also. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So is this passage about the relationship between Christ and the church or husbands and wives? The answer is both. So I feel that as Christian married couples, we have a tremendous responsibility to show to the world around us through our relationship with our spouse God's relationship that he desires to have with believers. I remember a story years ago of a couple, that young couple, married couple, went on the mission field and they tried for a long time to make converts. And they tried this method and this method and this method. And finally people began coming to the Lord and they were excited and they said, which method spoke to you? And they said, we observed how you and your wife related to each other, and that's how we knew that what you were preaching was real. And I think that's still true today. I think it's always true. So God instituted the marriage relationship with specific purposes in mind. And we should take those purposes seriously when we consider courtship and marriage. I have a little handout here for our youth. No, have a, probably about 20. You have two ushers here that I could uh, have to hand these out. And if I don't have quite enough, maybe some of you can, two of you can share if you're sitting beside each other. Thank you for taking care of that. I'll jump in here about halfway through the first page, or a little more than halfway through. We've already talked about arranged marriages, and now down at the bottom. At what age is appropriate for dating and marriage? This is a difficult question in one way, and another way it is not. We should be preparing our youth in spiritual and social ways for marriage at an early age so they are ready when God provides the opportunity, as Brother Josh shared with us in the devotional. In many ways, the quality of our relationships in courtship are just an overflow of our commitment to right relationships prior to that time in our lives. Today, there are a good many opportunities, many good opportunities for young people. Missions, Bible schools are just examples. These opportunities tend to postpone dating and marriage. God should determine the age of dating and marriage. He brings individuals together who have mutual interest that can culminate in dating and in marriage. And now we go to the second page and begin to look at the advice that, and I appreciate this, I got it some years ago from Brother Frank Reed at some meetings that he was at and made copies of it. Or I'll take it back. Maybe it wasn't at a meeting. I think I got it out of the uh, lifelines sometime back, some years ago. Parental involvement. How involved should parents be in helping young people determine whether or not they should enter into courtship. Parents should be involved more and more, and that's Brother Frank Reed's uh, appraisal of the situation. He said it's good. Parents should be appraised and give developments of the developments and give blessing to the couple. Families should be involved so they can grow to know and appreciate each other. And I appreciate uh, 
that we live in a, in a time and society where I think most times a young man will contact the father of the lady he has interest in and will seek his blessing before he asks the daughter for a date. And I appreciate that. I think that's good. I think that's not only is it right, it begins to lay a foundation for right relationships going forward. Integrity. Integrity of all who are involved is absolutely critical. Many young ladies are fearful of dating and marriage because they do not trust young men. So it is crucial that young men live lives that have absolute integrity in every area as to be trustworthy and holy. Here are some specific concepts that can be useful. And we'll just go through those starting with number one. Maintain absolute integrity in every way in your personal life. Submit to proper authority that God has placed over you. It reminds me of Paul writing to Timothy, his young son. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I don't know how old this young man Timothy was, but Paul had admonition for him for his personal life. He had admonition for him and how he was to relate to the sisters in the church. Chapter 5, verse 2 Paul again writes to Timothy and said he is to treat the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, the younger as sisters with all purity. So two times in Paul's writing to Timothy in this passage, he challenged him to live a life of purity as a young man, as a man who was in leadership. And young men, as you enter into courtship, God calls you to be the leader in that relationship, in purity, and in standards. Number two, give your heart and commitment to a young lady before and without demanding that from her. Christ gives himself for us and waits for us to respond to him. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And also think about Jesus in Matthew, where he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, if we stop and think about it, and I had to work on this one a little bit, but I agree with it. Jesus does not force his way into our lives. Yes, God brings circumstances into our lives. It makes us realize how much we need the Savior. But Christ stands there with open arms saying, Come unto me. And learn of me, and I will give you rest. I will bless you with my presence. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So on which side of the door is the latch? It's on the inside, right? And if we were on a different message, I would maybe talk a bit more about this. But let's just suppose, for the sake of discussion here, that Christ is knocking on the door of our heart. And for us to open the door, we have to climb down off of the throne of our heart to go over and open the door from the inside and let him in so he can come in and sit on the throne while we have the door open. And if you was at Minister's Study Week at Open Door in Pennsylvania, you know I got that from Tom Shum in his drawing, his illustration. And I like that. Don't, young men, don't force yourself 
on a girl. Offer her your interest in a relationship, and if she chooses to respond, if her family feels well about it, and goes from there, fine. If it doesn't, don't force your way into a relationship. If you read some of the publications that I enjoy mostly, you'll find that in some settings, a young man will write a girl a letter, and if she responds with a no, then he might say, well, I think I'm going to go English. Well, no. The Lord wants you to follow him whether the girl says yes or no. You don't need to go English if she says no when you ask. All right, number three. Stand for truth. Be a real man. Take a biblical stand on issues. A godly lady wants to be led by a godly gentleman. Number four. Keep your heart and mind in the scriptures and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we can think about some of the people we considered this morning. Joseph, of course, and Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mary's Joseph, the, the espoused husband-to-be of the mother of our Lord. And I'm impressed by Joseph when he learned the news that no doubt turned his world upside down. He could have had her stoned, but he chose, the scripture says, but he, he thought rather than that he would put her away privately. But while he meditated on this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and spoke to him. I see Joseph as someone who didn't make radical and rash and fast decisions. And if you follow the relationship of Joseph and Mary, their courtship included some deep conversations. <laughs> the angel, well, I had a dream. Well, the angel spoke to me. And they talked about what God was doing in their lives. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your situation. Number five, be a spiritual and moral leader, especially in the dating relationship. Do not make her carry the conscience for behaviors during the courtship. Being part of a godly man and a leader is to set and to keep godly standards. Young men lead out in that. If a man is not a godly leader before marriage, he will not likely be the godly leader the young lady desires after marriage. And I would like to really encourage us to, to understand the truth of that. To walk up this middle aisle and to say, I am, I do, and I will, doesn't dramatically change a person's character. In fact, the closeness of the marriage relationship generally serves to intensify who we already are in many ways. I guess it's a little bit like someone said, the best way for two friends to know each other is to go camping in a two-man tent. And in many ways, marriage is a little bit like camping in a two-man tent. But it's a great experience when the Lord is in it, the tent with you. Number six, communicate on spiritual vision. Share your vision with your girlfriend to see if it is, if it is a vision that you together are willing to follow. And I'll use Daniel and Joetta again as an example here. Daniel was, well, was he close to 40 when they were married? Probably upper 30s, Daniel and Joetta. And they met and began a courtship. And Daniel has told us more than once, one of the things that drew them together and helped them to 
to decide to pursue a courtship was that they both had a vision for Middle Eastern missions, and that's where the Lord, he felt the Lord calling them in their lives. And they were married with that as being a vision. And when ordination time came around and he was considered to be a candidate for the lot for ministry, they told the bishops, they said, we're willing to serve where the Lord leads us, but we feel like this is our long-term calling. So he came on our ministerial team and we gave him our blessing that when that time came, we would release him to go. And fortunately for the Middle East, and unfortunately for us, it came fairly rapidly, and he soon was gone. But we've been there to visit them, and they are fulfilling God's call in their lives. And they shared that vision in the early stages of their courtship and, and kept it in the forefront until now. Number seven, earn her trust before marriage. It is difficult to earn trust after marriage. So yes, be that man of integrity. Earn, do not demand. Number eight, guard her heart, reputation, character, and honor. Sometimes she will be vulnerable. Protect her at those moments. Respect her and she will know that you truly love her. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And there's a whole message worth of, of wisdom in those verses. Dwell according to knowledge. Learn to know her. Guard her. Care about her reputation, her character. Honor her. Protect her. Respect her. And she will know that you truly care and love her. And I found it interesting. I learned something just recently that the word for cherish, and in Ephesians we are told to nourish and cherish our wives. The word for cherish also means to brood. And if you know anything about poultry, you know brood isn't about being in a mood. It's about it's about warming and hatching and protecting the young, right? You remember what Jesus said as he wept over Jerusalem on the hill before he went down? He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks? See, the yearning in Jesus' heart was to nourish and to cherish the people of Israel. We see that here again in this picture. Of, of courtship, preparing for marriage. Learn to nurture and to cherish and to protect. Number nine, value her opinions. God can speak to you through her. She will have talents that you do not have. And any of us that have been married very long at all could say amen to that. Our lives will have uh, insight. They will have understanding on issues that we as men somehow kind of miss at times. And it can go the other way as well. We need to, to encourage each other. A good example of that is in the Old Testament, Abigail and Nabal. Remember that story? If Nabal had had the integrity of his wife, things would have turned out quite differently for him. Number 10, 
Give her space to be herself. She is an individual created by God. She is not your property. Do not be overly possessive. And that's something that can be a real temptation for young men. When you enter into courtship and suddenly you have this girl that you're pursuing and wooing and, and you start to feel like she's mine and you can be overly possessive and you maybe can not only get in the way of her relationship with others, you boys, you can get in the way sometimes of her relationship with seeking where God would have her to serve and to go. If God wants you to be together, he'll work it out. And if it happens to be after a two-year stint in service somewhere, he can still work it out. I believe that Jim Elliott and Elizabeth met in college, felt strongly for each other, but they committed to the Lord. And was it either five or seven years later that the Lord brought them back together and entered into marriage shortly before he went to Ecuador and lost his life there amongst the, the Indian or the native people? God can work it out. Do not be overly possessive of her. She is not your property. Number 11, be in love with her heart and not her body. Bodies are everywhere. Hearts are unique. Hearts grow in beauty and grace. Bodies fade with time. Proverbs 31, 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And that's true. True beauty flows out from within and can grow more beautiful with time as a dear lady walks with the Lord. And number 12, love is a gift from God. Accept it graciously and give it freely. God so loved the world that he gave. Our expression of love is giving. A selfish man will make a very poor husband. So ladies... Be on the lookout for selfishness in your courtship time. Men, our natural bent is to be selfish. We've been like that since the garden. But we need to learn to be giving and caring people as we relate to everyone and especially to our wives or our prospective wives to be. And it's interesting, this is a whole other subject, but in my study on this series of messages at home, Something that has really spoke to me as I've looked at scripture, we could go to 1 John chapter 4 and tells us that love is of God and God is love. So we know that without God, we can't have truly, true godly love. And in the scripture there also tells us, and in this was manifest the love of God towards us that he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So... The evidence of God's love in is, a, in, is found in that he kept his promise to send his son for us. So if you really dig into that, my conclusion is that the, the, the most basic and foundational expression of love is in commitments that are kept. And as commitments are kept, trust is built and feelings flow out of that. If we start with feeling and come up short on a commitment end, it just falls apart. But as our commitments are kept, we have promised, we married folks, we have promised to keep ourselves unto our spouse only until death do us part. As that commitment is kept and that trust is built and that confidence, the feelings grow and grow and grow. Anyway, I'm getting way off the subject here. Where are we at? Oh, number 12. 
We finished up here on the men, and now we'll move into integrity and dating for women. Number one, have your heart fixed on God. Invest time in his word. What are the two greatest commandments on which all the law and the prophets hang? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So young ladies, seek ye first God, and then seek his leading as someone would show interest in you. Number two, be respectful of the men in your life. And I'm only actually going to tie number two and number six together. No, number five. Number two and number five together. Be in submission to the authority that God has placed over you. If you cannot be submissive to a godly father, how will you be submissive to a godly husband? We look here at Ephesians chapter 5. We've already looked at. I'll just drop down here a bit further. Children, obey your parents. This is chapter 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now, 5.33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So, young ladies, if you're struggling to respect the godly men that God has placed in your life already as authority figures, you will probably also struggle to have proper respect for your husband. So cultivate respect for the leadership that God has already placed in your life, the authority structure God has already placed in your life, and it will go a long way in helping you to have the rest and peace and beautiful marriage relationship that I know we all desire to have. Number three, always be modest in dress and behavior. And we could look, we could look at 1 Timothy 2.9 and that. Actually, I will. So in like manner also, the women should adorn themselves with modest apparel and with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And here again, Paul is challenging us through the pen of Timothy that he would challenge the, men, the women to adorn themselves in modest apparel, shamefacedness, the idea of not being bold and, and, and up front and in the face of men, and with gold and pearls and costly array. A beauty that flows out from within, sisters, is what God desires for you to possess and to show in your life. Absolute, maintain, number four, maintain absolute integrity in your personal life. And I'm thinking about examples in the scripture. Mary, the mother of Jesus, seemed to be a lady who, who followed God without reservation. She didn't respond explosively when things came into her life that was, would have been very unsettling. She pondered these things in her heart. She was a lady of integrity. God calls us also to be people of integrity. We've already looked at number five. Number six, be discreetly friendly without being inappropriate. Be discreet, chaste. Keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And as Brother Josh challenged us this evening, here's something else that needs to be cultivated 
even before you enter into the age of courtship, to be discreet and chaste, to be discreet and inappropriate in your interaction with men. Number seven, require men to be honest and to prove themselves. And I'll say amen to that. If a man wants to pursue a relationship with you, require him to be a man of God before you allow him to lead out in courtship, relationship, in God's life, in your life. Someone put it this way, be the type of person that if a man desires to grow close to you, he must first grow close to God. Number eight, do not give your heart to every man who shows you attention. Do not give your heart to every man who shows you attention. And I don't know if that needs any explaining. That's good advice. Number nine, do not try to be his mother, for that sets you up to be his mother all your life. <laughs> if he just needs a mother, he should maybe stay at home another year or two. <laughs> Although we do need some direction from our wives as husbands, but not another mother, so to speak. Number 10, guard your emotions. Do not get involved in intimate conversations too soon. It is easy to allow feelings and emotions to override reality. And that's where that the perspective of parents and close friends can be a real help to us. Sometimes in the infatuation that can, can become part of the early stages of courtship, it may be very easy to overlook glaring faults in the person that we are pursuing a relationship with. Be open to others to speak into your heart in that situation. Number 11, do not flirt, but be friendly and be secure in who God has made you to be. And that's important. It brings us back to this morning's message. God has a plan for your life. He is weaving together a beautiful picture in your life. Be secure in that. And you don't have to flaunt yourself to try to attract attention. If you're seeking God, the Boazes of this world will notice. Number 12, rest in God's design for your life. Relax and be yourself. God made you unique. There's only one God, one you. And God made you special for a special task in life. Rest in that. And if it's God's will to send that special man to seek your hand for life, God will lead in that as well. So there's a number of other advice here that I think is good for us. Enemies of healthy relationships. Stay away from movies, romance novels, video games, professional sports, etc. They are not good for anyone and particularly harmful for dating couples. Times together should be planned. Lack of planning is mostly a recipe for unhealthy behaviors. Time with family is the best antidote to unwholesome activities. And I think that's a very good paragraph. Stay away from those things of, that just put you alone and in, in areas where you can be tempted and, and be with others who can, can encourage you. And of course you need times alone to talk and to plan, but uh, be careful how you work those out and how, that, how those situations are set up. Remember, dating is preparation for marriage. This is very important that the lives are lived for God in preparation for dating. It's so also very important that lives lived during dating are lived in preparation for marriage. 
So it's, it's a continual building on the foundation of a commitment to God. Do not have unrealistic expectations. Life is not perfect and will never be. Two imperfect persons can be perfect for each other even though they are not perfect themselves. <laughs> and I hope you understand that. Two, two people that are imperfect can complement each other and God can bring them together to build each other up and make them more fit to serve together in his kingdom. Remember, dating is about preparing your heart and life to be married. Marriage is about you wanting to fulfill God's plan in your life. And I'll stop there with Frank's paper. And parents, or children, youth, you can take this paper home and give it to your parents. Now the back page is for marriage. You can let them read that as well. So in conclusion, courtship practices change from generation to generation. The attitude courtship of courtship or toward courtship is different from one area to another. But nevertheless, we should always seek God and his leading in courtship. Courtship is to a marriage what foundation is to a building. And I'm not saying that if your courtship was less than it should have been, that you cannot still build a good, strong marriage. We may have to go back and relay the foundation in some areas in order to do that. Avoid the soulmate theory. It is based on mysticism. This whole soulmate thing is the idea somewhere in Eastern mysticism that there was this being that somehow got divided in two and was wandering in the, in the vast expanse of the universe looking for its other half to be made whole again. And out of that comes the idea that there's only one person in the whole universe that would be right for me. And, and when I find that person, it's, it's all wonderful. And it's, why mess around with this courtship stuff? Let's just get married because I found the perfect one. Well, if that's all true, what if your spouse dies? Does that mean you never have a chance to remarry? <laughs> there's just a lot of holes in that theory. And I encourage us not to get caught up in it. Do not miss the blessings along the pathway by always being in a hurry. And that's true of all aspects of life. Don't miss the blessings along the way. Because I've already said, courtship is to marriage what foundation is to a building. So out of all that, these whirlwind romances really do not display a high level of maturity. The focus of courtship should be on seeking God's leading and determine the compatibility of our lives, not on a headlong rush towards physical intimacy. It's interesting, I remember some time ago, I was sitting in a minister's meeting, and I was newly ordained, and someone had called Brother John Risser, and they had a situation in the church. It was two older folks. It was, uh, it had been second marriage for both of them, and he called John Risser, and he asked for advice. He said, how can I slow down this precipitous rush towards the marriage altar of these two people? <laughs> I think they need to slow down and learn to know each other a little bit before they enter into marriage, and they weren't young people. They were probably in their 50s or 60s. And so, yeah, we old people need this advice as well. Seek God's leading and determine the compatibility of our lives. Now, I'm just going to throw something out here that we'll just say it's an opinion of mine. But I would, I would encourage young people, I do encourage young people, Commit to a year of seriously considering your compatibility in a courtship relationship before engagement. Now, some people say two years. That's, I don't have a verse for that, okay? But I say that because of this. Once you become engaged, 
there's so much planning to do and so much work to be done, you can start to focus on that at the expense of really considering your relationship with each other to some point. So spend some time, maybe a year's not a good time period, but, but spend some time, as Daniel and Joetta did, determining is God's leading in my life and your life compatible? And our vision's the same to the point where that it's going to be a good fit in our relationship. Last but not least, courtship is one of the most special times of your life. Enjoy the journey. Conduct yourself so that you can reflect back on your courtship with fond memories and not with regret. May the Lord bless you all. It's been a, blesser, a blessing and a privilege to be here and to share with you all. Thanks again for your hospitality and come our way if you have an opportunity. We'll turn the meeting back to Brother Josh.